If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. We continue on here in this King's series. And last week, uh, Taylor um, Friesen was here and he spoke about how God had established David into this position as king uh, over Israel. And David had this heart for the Lord. He would consult with the Lord. Should I do this? Should I do that? And the Lord would respond to that. And we see uh, such a neat man, especially in the midst of him running from Saul, when all that was going on, you, you kind of just, you, it's just natural to root for David. He just seems like a good guy. Okay? And then you get into a chapter like this, chapter 11 especially, and you just see a good man make some very poor decisions. And there's things in David's life that will now begin to unravel, and we're going to walk through that a little bit today. Um, so before we get into this, there's uh, quite a bit of ground we're going to cover you're going to hear of individuals like David, uh, this gal Bathsheba, her husband Uriah, a prophet Nathan. They're all going to be in the mix of this story today. And so we'll be in chapter 11, chapter 12. We'll also touch uh, on Psalm 51. But uh, I think the Lord has got some things for us this morning, things He's pressed upon my heart to share with you in regards to these passages that we can apply into our own life. But before we begin in reading from the Scripture, this is God's Word. He speaks to us through His Word. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would just really have this time and speak into our hearts in a powerful way. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for this time as we gather around Your Word. And we ask that You would speak into our hearts in a very powerful and real way. And Lord, that there would be a response on our end. And Lord, I pray that you would quiet this place in the spiritual realm, the things that can distract us while we're trying to focus in on you. I just pray that you'd settle this space. Help us to focus in on you. We thank you for this time. Be with the children's ministry as they are being poured into. And Lord, I also pray that as you lay the elementary group, first through sixth grade, you lay that need on people's hearts, Lord. I pray that there would be a response to that. And you'd build a team there that would just be dynamic and anointed by your Spirit. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Samuel 11. The title of this message is simply the word grace. And you'll see why in a moment. Okay? In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. In the spring, when kings would normally go out to war, David chose to stay behind in Jerusalem. Well, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace. And as he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. 
And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, and she returned home. And later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. Now, we're just going to stop the car here for a second, okay? This is kind of where it's like, well, that moved very quickly, didn't it? Like, here's this man after God's own heart. Whoa, we have an issue here of adultery that just took place, okay? And I need, we just need to understand the issue here for David is he is in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, that's not an excuse you know, some people will say, well, I'm not guilty. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. The point I'm making with he was at the wrong place at the wrong time is he wasn't where he was supposed to be. That's the problem. The king would be out in battle. Instead, he chose to stay home. There was a convenience factor with that. And I love how there's things drawn out here in the text. Right? His midday rest while the army is out fighting and marching and traveling, and he's napping. And it says he walks out on the rooftop of his palace. Right? What are they sleeping in? Tents? Oh, this rock is really comfortable, you know. Just lay down and get a quick nap before I go to battle. And David's like, I got up from my rest, went out over my palace. He's, he's taking in all of this for himself and then he sees something from the balcony that he wouldn't actually be looking at if he was where he was supposed to be. And then when the messenger comes and says, yeah, that woman belongs to another man. She's married. It's like that didn't stop him. Well, I want her. Bring her to me. Some environments make you more vulnerable. And if David had just been where he was supposed to be, I don't know if we'd even have this whole situation. Be where you're supposed to be. This happened earlier in, in David's life. He wanted to fight some, uh, some uh, battles, and he didn't really take time to consult the Lord. He was doing that. Lord, should I do this? Should I not do this? And there's a point where he leaves, goes and fights his own battles, and meanwhile, the Amalekite army comes in and sieges the city in which they were staying, but the army and David had left, so all their families were back here, and they capture all of their families and take them off. And you think, would that have even happened if David had just been where he was supposed to be? And so you think in our own life, when we get tripped up or we're, we're tempted or we're, we're at our weakest or most vulnerable, part of it is because we're in, in environments or places that we're not supposed to be. Or we're with people who don't make godly decisions. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character or good morals. And so we have to understand the environment that we're in. And then I think I need to point out too here, David is taking in anything he wants. We're dealing with a pride issue. I'd rather be at home than out on the battlefield. And I want that woman, even though she's married. And we actually have a situation, I mean, if you really break this down, this is a case of rape. Bathsheba gets called in. What's she supposed to do? She has a husband, but the king says, I want you. He abuses his power. He takes this woman that's not his own 
and now she's pregnant. Let's move on to verse 6. So David sends word to Joab, the commander of his army. He says, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Do you think David really cared about that? Right? We know what he's trying to do here. Well, then Uriah told him, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Then David heard that Uriah had not gone home, so he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home? Look at that. How could I just go live in luxury? That's, he doesn't even have a palace. He's just like, how could I go home when the men are out there in the field like that? He says, I, I swear I would never do such a thing. And David says, well, stay here today, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David had invited him to dinner, got him drunk, but even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So he's trying to cover up the sin. If I can get Uriah to go home, chances are he'll sleep with his wife, and then they'll be like, oh, we had a baby. Trying to cover it up. It's not working. He even tries to get Uriah drunk. The scriptures are clear. Drunkenness is sin. David's trying to get this other man to sin. Break Break his ability to stand firm on what he thinks he needs to do to get him to go home. It's not happening. So David then takes matters further. In verse 14, David the next morning, he writes a letter to the commander Joab, and he gave it to Uriah to deliver. Now, Uriah has no idea what's in this letter, but he's to deliver it to the commander. The letter instructed that Uriah be stationed on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest then pull back so that Uriah would be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting, and when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed, along with several other Israelite soldiers. So let's just stop here for a second. There is a snowball effect to unaddressed sin. Now David has blood on his hands. He kills Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and other Israelite soldiers also get killed because we're trying to cover this thing up. Now there's a lot of collateral damage that's going on here. If sin continues to be unaddressed, decisions become worse, the collateral damage increases, and things can quite frankly get out of control. That's not just the case for David. That's the case for life. And when you are living in known sin, if you do not address that sin, it will continue to ruin lives of people around you. Not just yours. And we see that taking place. There's a snowball effect to unaddressed sin. 
Verse 26, if you jump with me there, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, she heard that her husband was dead and she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace and she became one of his wives. And this is where it's like, it just gets a little bit twisted, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you raise your hand if you think that's normal? Nobody should be raising your hand right now. There's a part of you that's like, what? We're torn with that. And the Bible says that the Lord was displeased with what David had done. I want you to focus in on that in verse 27. The Lord was displeased with what David had done. This is twisted. This is messed up. This is not God's heartbeat for how life should function. But here they are, messed up in this sin pretzel, if you will, of David's selfish decisions. And I feel like we should just pause on that verse and just pause and pray because we can look at this and go, David, what's up? But it all starts with the pride that he had in his life. And so as we reflect internally, God, is there any area of pride where I could start to make decisions like David was making decisions? The initial decision was, I'm not going to go out with the army, I'm going to stay home. You make yourself vulnerable, and then you get to the issue of taking Bathsheba, something that was not his. So let's pray. Let's focus in on that. Just stop for a moment and ask the Lord to reveal to us things in our life that He would want to address. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank You that there is a story like this that warns us. Even though this wasn't of Your design, the, the sin and the dysfunction, and that's not Your heartbeat, but Lord, we see this circumstance at one of the lowest points here of David's life. And yet you're able to work through all those dynamics. So whatever's going on in our life, perhaps there's some things that are messed up. Perhaps there's some unaddressed sin. Maybe there's this pride issue that creeps in and we start making our own decisions rather than consulting You. Lord, please speak to that right now. When we walk out of here in a matter of moments, I pray that there would not be anything left in our life that You don't desire being there. You'd sweep it. Clean it out. We lift that to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God doesn't just leave David hanging there. You go with me to chapter 12. Verse 1 says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. He gives him a parable. It says there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other one was poor. 
And the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. And he raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. How many of you are like, ew, just buy a dishwasher, man, seriously. But he cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. The Bible tells us in verse 5, David was furious. Even over this little story, he was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then it's like, boom, David gets told by Nathan, you are that man. Whoa. He says, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of, of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I'd have given you much more, much more. But why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done such a horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and you've stolen his wife. That's a powerful moment. Nathan was a man. He was a prophet, but he was a man. And there's a part of me that wonders what was going on in his spirit as he's addressing the king. If the king doesn't like this, he could be like, you, let's just kill the man. I don't want to hear this anymore. There was risk involved in addressing the issue. But folks, there's a grace in accountability. There's a grace that comes in accountability. The Bible says, who sent Nathan to David? Who sent Nathan? The Lord sent Nathan. God could have said, I have had it with you, David. This is over. You screwed up. But He says, I'm going to send Nathan to you. And we're going to address this sin issue. God sent Nathan to David. He brings in a man that's going to speak the truth in love. And there's risk in that. Absolutely. Bringing in a voice of reason that's not clouded by all the pride and all the things that maybe have taken place. You've got a voice that's just going to be very pointed and direct. When I thought about the voice of reason, I was actually backing into my driveway last night with Brady and um, Judah, and as we were backing in, it actually brought me back to a moment um, earlier, like last summer, um, I was backing our boat into our driveway, and Brady was the voice of reason, okay? We're backing this thing up, and I've got my mirrors, and I'm like, we're good, I'm just going to keep on going, keep on going. Well, the garage door is shut. Okay? And I think I've got more room. And I've got more room. And she's like, you should probably stop. Okay? If you keep going back any farther, you're going to poke a hole 
through the garage door with the motor that sticks out, you know, at, at an angle there. And I just keep backing up. And I thought, yeah, maybe I should stop, right? So I stop the truck, I get out, and I'm just curious, right? I think I've got two, three feet left, right? I walk out of the truck and I get to the back just to see, and the fin of the propeller is on the garage door. If I'd have gone any further, we would have poked a hole in that thing, and she'd have been like, you should have just listened to me, right? The voice, <laughs> the voice of reason. But, but we don't see things sometimes the way they need to be seen, and that voice of reason comes in and says, you need to start looking in a different direction. And Nathan was that voice of reason for David. And the Bible tells us that wounds, wounds from a friend are better than kisses of the enemy. And Nathan probably wounded David. Hey, you are that man, and that news probably hurts, but you need to hear that, pal. you got to change some things. There's a grace that comes from accountability, and it leads into verse 13. The Bible says that David confessed to Nathan. He says, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. There's a power that comes with repentance. David recognizes he's got a sin issue, and he confesses that to Nathan. There's a power that comes in confession. You take something that's in the dark, and you bring it out into the light, and now you've got to deal with it, rather than just kind of hide it tuck it away over here. Not only in confession, but I think it's important to recognize that I think David was broken over his decisions. There was a brokenness there. And we get that picture out of Psalm 51. So if you want to keep your hand right there in this particular chapter and where we're at, Roll with me now to uh, Psalm 51. Each psalm sometimes starts out telling you who's writing this and you know, maybe what circumstances are surrounding the writing of that psalm. And in Psalm 51 it says, this is a psalm of David and it's when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So he writes this out of that circumstance. And our memory verse this week from Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. He goes on to say in verse 2, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. This was weighing on David. My sin is always before me. His conscience, the Holy Spirit working on him. This is wrong, David. This is wrong. And then Nathan comes and confirms that it's wrong. And he tells God, against you and you only have I sinned and I've done what is evil in your sight. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Again, there was a weight that was on him because he had unaddressed sin in his life. 
He said, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my inequity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Let's hang for a second on verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. When somebody is living with unaddressed sin, one of the ways in which you might be able to tell is they're angry. They're convicted by it. They're not addressing it. And, so, and they feel guilty whenever something happens and it's questioned and all of that stuff. And their joy begins to leave because they're dealing with unaddressed sin. Verse 14, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. And then in verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. You, God, you will not be displeased with that kind of posture. So part of dealing with sin and the power of repentance is that we confess it, but there needs to be a genuine brokenness. I, I am sad that, that I've done this. Not that I got caught, but that I truly broke God's heart. And then the last component of that, when it comes to repentance, to repent means to change. You turn and you go in a different direction. So it's not just empty words. Yeah, Nathan, I was wrong. And then we go back to making bad decisions Repentance means I'm going to go in a new direction. I'm going to put away the old things, the, the, the things that I'm struggling with, and I'm going to go in a new direction. So confession, brokenness, and true changing of direction. That's what repentance looks like. And David, you see that with David. You guys ready for some good news? I feel like, yes, like, oh my goodness, like, seriously. What's amazing is God just doesn't leave David in this state. Folks, there is a freedom that comes with forgiveness. Oh, there's a freedom. And Nathan, he tells him, yes, he says, the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. He's been set free from the weight of all of that. God brings forgiveness. Now, there are some consequences for the decisions. Yes, God forgives you, but yet there's also the consequences of how things kind of carry out, one of which is they're going to lose the child. And David's broken over that. The Bible says on the seventh day the child died. Decisions still carry consequences, but that doesn't mean life's over, folks. Decisions do carry consequences, but life is not over, and that is why I titled this message, Grace. Have you ever made a decision like David? Have you ever made decisions in your own pride or made huge mistakes? I'm here to tell you that God still wants to work in your life. And I know that for a fact because we have the cross where Jesus came, and all those decisions, all those sin struggles, the, the struggles we have, the decisions we make, all of that, He took upon the cross, and He pays the penalty and the price for our sin. 
so that we can be set free. And what's so neat in this whole story, and we all agree, this is kind of messed up. Right? The relationship dynamics, this is all just like uh, crazy. Well, David and Bathsheba end up having a son. And it's Solomon. And I want to point out, in verse 24, the Bible says that the Lord loved the child. The Lord loved the child. God loves you. No matter the circumstances that you're in, maybe the circumstances you grew up in, whatever the case might be, God has a love for you. And He wants to redeem. He wants to be a part of your life. I want to invite the worship team to come up and prepare to sing a song. I think it's important to note that when we're in the mess, we can't fix the mess in our own strength. I mean, you see that. David tried to fix the mess in his own strength, didn't he? I'm going to try to cover this up. Right? We start to make bad decisions trying to do the cover-up, trying to fix things on our own. The only way you can get through the mess is through Christ. And He's the one who helps pull you out. One of the verses of this song, Yet not I, but Christ in me, talks about we don't have to dread our fate because we know we've been forgiven. And the future is sure because the price has been paid. Christ paid the penalty and the price for our sin. And Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. And they're going to lead us in this song, and then we're going to have a moment of reflection and prayer. I just encourage you to really consider these words and the forgiveness that is available to you because of what Christ has done. You cannot do this on your own. You need Christ to help you through.
pray with me? Father, we're so grateful that you don't just leave us in the mess. I pray that we'd cry out to Jesus, Lord, please forgive me. Please bring victory into my life. I'm tired of the weight. Please set me free. Please restore my life like you restored David. I'm so thankful for your love. Even in the midst of the mess, I know you love me because your word tells me that. And Father, you demonstrated your love for me by sending Jesus to suffer in my place. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that you just be ministering in every heart right now. Search our hearts, Lord. We thank you for your love. We respond to you. Help us to know we cannot, we cannot defeat sin in our own strength. It's by the power and the help of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we acknowledge we need you. Help us to walk in purity, with integrity, and that we address sin in our life. We don't hide from it or run from it or try to cover it up. Lord, help us. If there's anyone listening right now that you are are living your life without Jesus Christ, please know that God loves you and He sent Jesus to come to this earth and pay the penalty for your sin. And when Christ rose from the dead, He can give you the power of victory and new life and freedom. I encourage you to lean in and receive Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Say, Jesus, please forgive me. And today I decide in my heart that I want to live for you. Thank you for this grace that you've extended toward me. And by your strength, help me. Help me to live in the life that you've designed. With great purpose and abundance. A life that's been restored. Thank you for this grace.